Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. I was just uh, asking Vicki uh, when she's going to Mexico. She's going to Mexico for the summer, right? And uh, doing some... Um, are you going to be kind of looking after some kids? Not the plan. So um, I just wanted to pray for Vicky. Um, sounds like a good summer. I, I bet it's going to be hot in Mexico. Be like 110 every day. It'd be like you know 78 here. You'll be missing home. <laughs> uh, let's just uh, bow before the Lord, Father. Thank you for uh, your goodness and your mercy to us, and we just thank you for Vicky and just pray God your blessing on her. She. Uh, goes to Mexico in about 10 days, and you just use her, Lord, in a great way, and, and use this uh, trip and time to uh, give her uh, uh, direction, Lord, in, in her life and in her career. Thank you, Lord, for her willingness, and uh, for your protection on her. Lord, as we um, look into the Word this morning, uh, Lord, I know that this situation that Paul was in, um, kind of uh, mirrors uh, our own lives in a lot of ways. And, um, well, we haven't been locked out maybe, but um, we certainly have faced and face uh, adversity. So, Lord, as we look into the Word, uh, we pray that you speak to our hearts. Help us to apply uh, your precious Word that we might live by it. And we just give you this time and our attention in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians chapter... Um, one this morning. Uh, titled the message Joy, Joy and Adversity. Uh, I've been uh, reading this uh, year in, in the Old Testament, and uh, you know, uh, Jacob um, he had a lot of adversity. He didn't seem to have a whole lot of joy. <laughs> You know, my poor gray head go weeping down to the grave was sort of like his epitaph. Said it over and over. Uh, Moses, you know, he, I don't think he had a lot of joy. Like he spent 40 years in the desert and then God called him and he didn't want to go. And, and leadership was just, you know, overwhelming to him. Um, you know, leading a nation, uh, a rebellious nation. Uh, maybe the odd day he had a good day, but Moses just seemed to be under it all the time. And I, I'm into Job... Uh, the last couple of weeks, and mercy me, Job's sometimes hard to read. Um, you know, when we look at Job, we, we, we kind of hold him up as an example of faithfulness and suffering, and he is that. But, you know, it's sometimes just hard to read it because uh, it was just really difficult for him. Um, when you come to the New Testament, you know, you, you read about Jesus, and I, I, th I think Jesus had a lot of joy because I think he had a bigger perspective than everybody else. And we read about Paul here, and Paul said he learned in whatever state he was to be content. So he learned that, right? He didn't just get it first off, but he learned it so that he could, uh, you know, talk about what he's, uh, his joy in prison. And Peter talked quite a bit about suffering and, and, and joy. Um, uh, so... You know, I don't have it all figured out. I, I, what I find when it comes to adversity is every stage you go through uh, in life brings some kind of adversity, and then there's something to learn. And so you don't learn it all at once, and you don't learn it early. You learn it as you go and as you uh, apply 
the truth to your life. Uh, adversity defined as um, a state or instance of serious or continued difficulty. So it's not just a bad day, but it's like a bad season, a long year. Um, you know, when you think about joy and having w the wind at your back, well, adversity is kind of like a sideways rain in your face. Um, it's just continued difficulty. And um, <clears throat> when we try to figure out why we're in the midst of this adversity, um, it's not easily judged. Um, you know, and Paul even said, I don't even judge myself because I, I don't have myself quite, I don't really understand myself. And, and, and yet, we as uh, people, we, we tend to judge other people. And we can't even understand ourselves. And we think we can understand other people. Like, it's really pretty ridiculous. And um, sometimes we're better off just to kind of let it happen rather than try to figure everything out. Um, one of my favorite metaphors in the Bible is in Ezekiel 47, and it's um, the messenger of God measuring the water, measuring the distance uh, of the water flowing out of the temple. And, and Ezekiel's watching him measure, and he's leading Ezekiel through this uh, water. And so the first the water's up to his ankles, which feels really good. You know, if you get into the water, uh, you know, in July, and it's up around your ankles, it's going to be warm, it's going to feel good. You kick your feet up a bit. And, and then he talked about water to the knees. And um, well, the water to the ankles always seemed to symbolize for me the joy of just that easy walk with the Lord. You know, when things are good, it's just great. It's just like walking in uh, beach water. Then there's uh, the water come up to his knees, and, and, and that kind of sort of slows you down a bit. It's hard to run in water up to your knees. If you're a kid, you can do it, but when you get older, you, you can't. You can hardly do well to walk through it. And so water to the knees suggests, you know, submission. It's when you bow the knee before the Lord. The Lord slows you down a bit, and, and the, the knee is always, in Scripture, kind of a, a symbolism of submission to God. And then he kept leading him out another thousand, it says, and, and um, the water came to his waist. And uh, by the time you get out into water like that, it's a little colder, you're a little more sensitive, and uh, you're definitely slowing down. And doubt can creep in. And that's sort of what water to the waist symbolizes, I think, is you know, when you're walking through doubt, and you're just kind of not sure. You're not sure of your footing, you're not sure of what you're feeling, and uh, you're not sure where you're heading. But there's a bit of an uneasiness to that stage. And then the final stage was when he got in over his head. And, and that's when the river just carried him wherever God wanted him to go. And sometimes that's what happens in our lives. Uh, God just carries you away. And you don't know why, and you don't know where, and you don't really have any control. You're just carried along. And, you know, the, the, um, the deal with Job and his friends was we're trying to figure out whose fault is this? You know, uh, and they kept saying, Job, you're, it's your fault. It's your own stupid fault that you're in this mess. And he kept saying, well, I, I, don't, I don't, don't think so. I, I don't see any fault. I, I, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but Job said, I, I just don't have that. And so that's what we try to figure out. And is it, is it for our discipline because we're doing something wrong? Or is it for God's glory because we're doing something right? And that's what it was for Job, amazingly. And his friends never saw it. They, they just saw, hey, problem, it's your fault. And, and, and the whole lesson of Job is that God had a higher purpose for Job's suffering and for his adversity. Even Job didn't understand it till the end. Um, 
So sometimes adversity is just for the glory of God. And we have to accept that. Um, does faith always rise above adversity and smile? You know, we say just trust God. Um, it's easy to say, but how well do we do it when it happens to us? It's a little harder. What is on my heart this morning is that um, the preaching of this word and the sharing of our lives would have an impact on your life to help you um, with your adversity so that you and I will live for Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that's the reason we get up here on any given Sunday and proclaim the word of God is so that we will live for the glory of God. Um, in the uh, Gospel Project material for this uh, uh, Philippians 1, 12 to 30. Uh, this is sort of their uh, take on the, uh, the whole point, and I really like it. I think it's really well said, so I'll just read it for you. Because salvation for our sins came through the redemptive suffering of Jesus, okay? because salvation for our sins came through the redemptive suffering of Jesus, Paul understood that God's mission would go forward through the redemptive suffering of God's people. Okay, so if Jesus suffered to redeem the world, then the mission of God will go forward uh, as the people of God suffer. That's sort of what the point is, and, and that's true. I mean, you just have to read the Bible to understand that, that suffering and adversity is part of the agenda of God for every believer. And I know there's a lot of theology out there that says if you just have enough faith and, and then you won't have to suffer, I, that's a false gospel. It's just plain not true. Um, so this word redemptive suffering, I was kind of like not really familiar with the, the term. Uh, and so I looked it up, and um, um, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. One is the Catholic view that suffering remits just punishment for sins. Well, I know that's not what we're talking about here today because I don't believe in that kind of redemptive suffering. There's no suffering of me or you that's going to pay for anybody's sins. Okay, you can't remit sins through human suffering. The only sins, the only suffering that can remit sins is the suffering of Christ on the cross. So redemptive suffering, uh, what does it mean for us? Well, before we go to Philippians, I just wanted to look at a couple of things in um, in First Peter, if you'd like to turn there. First Peter chapter two. Verse 21, to uh, this you were called suffering because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he goes on and he talks about how when Christ was threatened and insulted, uh, he just kept quiet. And, uh, you know, so we, we're called to this walk, uh, following the master who walked through suffering and so we ought to expect that uh, as we follow Jesus, um, suffering and adversity will be um, part of our path. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, it is, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So, yeah, you can suffer for doing evil, um, but you can suffer for doing good, which is really what Job did. Job suffered for doing good. And so um, sometimes when you can't figure out what, you know, obvious evil you've done beyond your daily uh, sinfulness. Um, maybe you're just suffering for doing good. 
suffering for a higher purpose. And then uh, chapter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So God has an agenda for every one of us, and God has an agenda uh, that includes suffering and adversity. So I, my take on, on the... the on the passage, uh, and on the whole theme, is that uh, I need to look, respond to adversity by learning to serve God's agenda instead of my own. Because when I get suffering, I have an agenda. Like, I, I get a man cold once in a while. You know, that's like, ladies, well, I like, certainly hear about it all the time. <laughs> Heaven help it, some man get a cold, and somebody's got to talk about how, how, how whiny they are. But we have an agenda. Um, um, you know, we want to be looked after and we want people to feel sorry for us. And uh, it doesn't work in my house. Um, and, and frankly, uh, you know, Glenda's been barking for about 10 days now and I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for her either. <laughs> I'm right in the middle of a TV show and there's this line and just crack, 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 crack. And I can't hear, I'm just missing. I'm just missing a lot of stuff. <laughs> Anyway, we're going out. <laughs> so, you know, like we all have an agenda when it comes to suffering. And uh, we need to learn to serve God's agenda because it's a better agenda than ours. Um, let's read the passage, uh, part of it, uh, Philippians 1, verse uh, 12 through 18. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, you all know the story of Paul and Silas. Uh, uh, and at another time, uh, an earlier time, uh, when they were in prison, Acts chapter 16, uh, and so he's in the jail uh, at Philippi. And it's interesting, he writes later and talks about being in jail. Um, and that's really where the Philippian church <laughs> really got going. So um, Acts 16, I'm going to read um, from 22 to 34. The crowd, there's this whole thing going on. They seized Paul and 
good for preaching. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So this is Philippi. When Paul is writing Philippians, he's in jail in, in, in Rome. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the fountains of the prison were shaken, foundations. And once all the prison doors flew open, everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We were all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, men, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of God to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him, and the whole family was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God. Pretty happy time. And I think those are the kind of things that, that, that Paul took notice of, and, and I think he remembered that night in the Philippian jail when he was in jail at Rome. Hey, there's something bigger going on here. You know, instead of focusing inward on his, uh, the difficulty, he was uh, looking at something else. And so, you know, often our first question when difficulty rises is, why me? And uh, I think that's kind of universal. We, we ask those questions, you know. Why, why again? Why me? Why, why is this happening to me? And maybe instead, the, what we should be asking is, you know, for what purpose did you place me here, Lord? For what purpose is this coming against me? Because there's a purpose to it. It, it just doesn't happen haphazard. Um, we need to shift our thinking. Like, that's just a kind of a different, that's like a 180 of thinking differently. And we're used to thinking, why me? And we should be thinking, for what purpose, Lord? Because there's a purpose behind everything you do, everything you allow. Um, let's look at a bit of Job, Job chapter 12. And he's talking about uh, animals and birds and whatnot and fish. And he says, which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. You know, that's just one of those very basic truths in Scripture that we need to remember. In his hand is the life of every creature. In his hand is your and my very life. My day is in the hands of God. Verse 13, to God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. The man he imprisons cannot be released. God's sovereign. Again, contrary to what um, 
some say about you know how adversity happens. That adversity happens because um, you know um, you know we talk about being under attack and all that. Listen, the devil is under God's authority. Okay, every creature is under the authority of God. God is sovereign over everything, and it's not that we don't get attacked, but what is the higher purpose? You know, we say, I will follow you, Jesus. Right? How many have said that? Put your hands up if you've said it. Anytime in life, I will follow you, Jesus. That's what everybody. So then we should believe that he's going to lead us. He says, come follow me. We say, I'm going to follow you, Lord. And then what we're saying is, you lead, Lord. I'll follow. And that's how it is from then on. He leads, and we follow. So I think when we are facing adversity, every adversity has a higher purpose than we can see at the moment. That's how God works. Now, there's different kinds of adversity. I, I think, you know, when, I, when, you're, when, I'm, when I think of suffering, I, I tend to think of it as um, physical or emotional suffering. Sometimes adversity is just circumstances. Like ending up in jail is more like adversity. I mean, you might suffer within it, but it's just different shades of the same thing. So I think if it would help us if we were to understand that every adversity has a higher purpose. So one of the points in Philippians is that joy is possible when we understand that our faithfulness in adversity can serve to advance the gospel of Christ. That's his higher purpose is what is happening to you and I uh, able to influence other people for God in some way. That's a way higher purpose than, oh, this aching feeling that I have. I mean, that's a real feeling, and it's a real sensation, and it's a real difficulty. But there, if there's something higher going on, I can take my eyes off my pain, because when I focus on my pain, it gets more painful. And if I put my eyes on God and on his higher purposes, it draws my attention away from myself, and I don't feel as bad. Do you notice that? It's pretty amazing, really. If you're, if you're having a lot of pain, and I have to confess, I've never had a great deal of physical pain. Um, I've had probably the worst pain I had was an, an appendix attack and, and, um, and, you know, having it out and all that. But I was like a week, you know, uh, and that was pretty severe pain. Um, but, you know, I've had pains, but, um, but, I, but I know that the more you focus on your own pain, the harder it can get. You can sink into despair and depression. You can get consumed by your, your own pain and adversity. And I think one of the scriptures, one of the things the scripture teaches is now, don't look at yourself so much. Take your eyes off yourself. Look at him and look at a higher, higher purpose. I think we need to all ask ourselves a question if we struggle with this. And I think we all struggle with this. I, I've never met a, a believer yet who didn't struggle with adversity. But we have to sometimes think about the basics of our faith. You know, what do we really believe? Uh, we call God Almighty. I like that name, Almighty. Um, it's, a good, it's a good name. Um, and so God is Almighty. You know, we use words like omnipotent and omniscient. He's all everything. He's, he's just so, he's so huge. Um, and, but do we really believe it? Um, 
You know, we tend to, in, in, in times of trouble, we, we tend to shrink him. <laughs> he gets smaller, impotent. You know, he's not omnipotent. He's like he's impotent. He's not doing anything. And, that, and that's just faulty thinking. Um, do we believe God is holy? Well, that's what we say. But when difficulty comes, do we believe he's good? Because if he's holy, he's good. He's got to be good. You know, holiness and goodness just kind of go together. You, you couldn't have God who is holy without God being good. And, and good is more the expression that's toward us. It's hard to touch the holiness of God. Like, you know, very few of us have ever come in contact with the holiness of God, like maybe Isaiah did, or like the apostles did when they saw the risen Lord. Like, you know, we've gotten glimpses and tastes and convictions of holiness. But uh, is our belief in holiness... Uh, does it transfer to how we receive, you know, whether God is good or not toward us? Do we believe God is interested in our life? Do we believe that our life is important to God? And therefore, does it have purpose? Well, there's a question that, uh, or a statement that Paul makes back in Philippians 1. Um, verse everything. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. That was just kind of his summation of the whole deal. Uh, that was the important thing to Paul. And so it made me ask, what's the important thing to me? What's the important thing to you? That's a good question. I went for a long walk yesterday afternoon, and I, I had read in, in Job uh, the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. And I was going to bring my Bible, and I brought a journal, but I ended up walking out on the beach, and I didn't really need it because all I needed was that verse. I just thought through and prayed through that verse for quite a while. And, and you know, what's the important thing when you're going through adversity? I think for Paul, it was the glory of God. And I think that's got to be it for us, too. That's really the, that's the goal. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That's like the ultimate goal of everything. And that's how we need to think if we're going to thrive the way Paul thrived in adversity. Let's go on to uh, 19 through 26. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better. You ever feel like that? But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith 
so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So Paul was sort of saying, you know, I'd like to get deliverance here, but I've come to the place where I don't care if I get delivered or if I die. I'm ready to go. Actually, I'd, be, I'd rather go. I'd rather go and be with Christ, which is far better than be delivered from this adversity. And I think when you think like that, joy's inevitable. Because, again, the focus now, I, how old is Paul here? I suppose he's, I don't know, maybe he's 50, 60, somewhere in there, um, something like that. You know, he didn't live to be an old man in our terms, but if you got to be 50 or 60 back then, that was a pretty good, pretty good life. And so he was drawing toward, you know, the, his later stage of his life, and he, was, he had done a lot, and he was ready to go. Um, and, and so how do we apply that to ourselves? Well, if your life is all about Christ, then the best thing that could happen to you is to meet Christ. Nothing could be better than that. Now, I know when you're 30 and you're building your life, you, you don't want the Lord to come yet, do you? Like, you don't want to die yet. You know, so if you don't want to die yet, you, in a way, you're just hoping that the second coming would be, you know, wait till I'm 60. Listen, 60's not that bad. All right? You're not dead yet when you're 60. Um, and you'll be there soon enough. But it's all about, it's all about perspective. And, and what Paul was saying here, you know, uh, yeah, I, I got this adverse situation, and I'm not all that worried about getting delivered. If I die, hallelujah. It's, it's, it's going to be all right. It's not a bad choice that, that I'm forced to make here. Now, I was reminded about um, a passage in Exodus, uh, Exodus 15. Sometimes these Old Testament um, passages are really good to put a visual, historical happening onto a theological truth and saying, this is how you do it. So this is what this passage is for me, um, going back a long, long time. And I was reminded of again uh, this week. So uh, it's Exodus 15, 22 uh, to 24. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? So how long has it been since the Exodus? It's like a chapter. It's like three days. Three days ago, they were delivered through the Exodus. They walked on the floor of the Red Sea, and the water was piled high. And I know it's uh, kind of common in our day that uh, scholars like to diminish the exodus. Ah, it was just the northern edge of this little lake, and it really wasn't all that deep. You know, it wasn't that big a deal. You ever watch the Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments movie? That's a big deal. It was a big deal. The, you know, supernaturally, God sent a wind that somehow divided the water, and the water was a wall on either side, and they went through in the dry ground, and when their enemy pursued, God brought the water over top of them, and 
and got rid of the enemy. And they all saw that. Like they watched that. That was like Tuesday, right? And this is, this is Friday. And they forgot all about it. Three days after witnessing the power of God, what were they doing? They were complaining. They had all kinds of water three days ago, and now today there's no water. And they're mad. And that's one of the reasons Moses, <laughs> I don't think he had a lot of joy in leadership, because this is just how it was. Verse 25, then Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood or a tree. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. So there's another truth about adversity. It's a test. How many of you like tests? You thought you were done when you graduated from high school, didn't you? You thought you were done when the end of June came. That's all the tests. It isn't all the tests. You're going to get tested till you leave this world. Life is a test. Your faith is going to be tested. It, the journey requires periodic testing in a variety of ways. And what's going to make bitter times sweet? Well, you know what the tree is here. It's just a piece of wood. It doesn't really say what it is. But you know what the tree is for me? It's this. It's the cross where Jesus died. When I throw that, when I put that into the adverse circumstances, it sweetens things up for me. Why? Because everything is answered in the cross. That's what I believe. Everything is answered in the fact that God sent his son to suffer for me. To me, it answers everything. Um, you know, whatever my sins are, whatever your sins are, the cross says Jesus paid for them. And not only that, but he wants to make an exchange. All my sin, high and deep, for all his righteousness. That's the best deal ever. And so he just says, Doug, just give me your sin, and you can have all my righteousness, and that's how I will look at you from now on. Well, I tell you, that changes things. That's like all my sin. Now it's all his righteousness. Like, like Aaron prayed, you know, we got new life. We have grace is new every morning. Um, it's just everything's new about the life of God, this acceptance by God. That's how we're supposed to see our lives. We're not supposed to be, I know we're supposed to confess our sin and, and all that, but once you've given your sin to Jesus, he doesn't want us to dwell on it and get buried under it. He wants us to identify with his righteousness. The cross says, uh, whatever you need, I will supply. And so because the cross reconciled me to God, every time I need something, I can go to God and expect to get it. Now, it doesn't mean I get deliverance. I get soothed. I get, you know, uh, uh, my tears dried right away. I get everything taken care of right away. It doesn't mean that at all. I just get the presence of God. That's way better than all that other stuff, to get the presence of God, to get the blessing of God in my life. It also says to me that we should look at the cross and know that whatever is lacking will be provided for. 
Now, they were lacking water. And, 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 and God sweetened the water. Um, what do you lack? You know, I think about what sin does to a person's life, how it wrecks your life. Sin wrecks your life. Sin leads to death, and along the way it destroys. Bit by bit by bit, it just kind of eats away, and it destroys. And sometimes when people are young, and we tell them that sin destroys, they don't believe it. Oh, yeah, it might destroy them, but it's not going to destroy me. I can handle it. And it'll slowly squeeze the life out of you. Because that's what it does. So I believe that whatever sin wrecked, God intends to supply. Um, sometimes the world doesn't appreciate you. Sometimes people don't get you, don't understand you, don't like you. Don't see the heart that you have. Uh, maybe you have a difficulty communicating who you really are. Uh, maybe you haven't found that, that job or that calling that you can really express yourself. And so people just think they know you, but they don't know you at all. God knows you. You know, and sometimes God, God doesn't equally bless everybody. You ever notice that? Some people get more than others. Right? Some people get a whole lot. And some people don't get very much at all. But the cross says, whatever blessing I haven't given you, I'm going to supply someday. That's what it says. Because I don't think there's going to be any disparity in the kingdom. I don't think there's going to be classes of people in the kingdom. I don't think there's going to be rich and poor in the kingdom. I think God is going to supply everything we lack. And you lack things in this life, and this life may never supply them, but one day God will supply all that you lack. And whatever costs to supply that, he's already paid for. It's already paid for. It's already waiting. And that's why Paul could, you know, you know, he could, you know, be uh, upset. I don't know what did, what was a Roman jail like in 60 A.D. That wouldn't be any fun at all, would it? It'd be rats and stink and the food. Oh my gosh, the food would be. If there was food, it'd be awful rotten, stinky, goodness knows what would be crawling in it. Awful. The cross also says, I promise to give you much more than you lack now. Trust me, I will restore what the locust has eaten. I love that verse in Joel. I will restore the years that the locust has eaten. Now I know it was given to Israel. Um, but... You know, we read those Old Testament uh, stories and prophecies, and, and the New Testament says these things are written for your admonition. And that's why that tree in Exodus, that doesn't mean it's the cross. But as a Christian, when I look at that, I see the cross. That's the, maybe it's the typology. I don't know if I'd call it a typology, but it's an inference. As a New Testament believer, I look for the cross everywhere. I look for Jesus all through the Bible. And, and you see him. You start seeing what he has for us. On the cross, I gave my best for you. My love and promises can sweeten whatever adversity you are facing. Now, you're not going to get that because I told you that. Just like I didn't get it, somebody else told me that. You've got to face it. 
You've got to go through it. You've got to start shifting your thinking from this to this. You've got to stop looking inward as much and try to look upward more. And eventually we can learn that whatever state we're in, we can find some contentment and joy because we're focused on God and not the adversity. Well, let's wrap up this. I shouldn't say that because, you know, we might be a long way from wrapping up. But we're making good time today. So let's uh, finish the passage 27 through 30. Whatever happens. You know, so Paul has said, you know, what happened to me is served to advance the gospel. Uh, what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Whatever happens, and that's sort of how he's applying it, whether it's to himself or, or to the Philippians. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. Confidence in the Lord goes a long way. When a Christian has confidence in the Lord, it speaks to people who don't believe in the Lord. It's actually a kind of a judgment on them. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to also suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Last uh, Sunday night on the news, I watched uh, an interview on the National uh, with Paul Dewar. Anybody see that? He's an NDP uh, MP uh, uh, from the Ottawa area, and uh, he retired this winter because he has terminal cancer. He has brain cancer, and um, he's not going to live. He's in you know, he'll die. And so uh, what he has done is he has started this foundation to help uh, young people. And uh, he talked a bit about in the interview about faith and his, you know, some pastor was meeting with him. I'm not sure what his faith is, but obviously he has some faith. And you know what, what the interview did, and, and they had some excerpts from some testimonials from other MPs of how his approach and the grace with which he was facing this adversity spoke to people. You know, whether they were his party or another party, they're just impressed. They were just impressed with his approach. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good lesson for us. We need to conduct ourselves in a manner that would make other people take notice of Jesus, not of us. So whatever happens, Paul says, you know, stand firm in the spirit and work together in unity and don't be afraid of the opposition. Just keep focused on the glory of God and, and, and be a witness for Christ. And then he says this, uh, verse 29, for it has been granted. And that word granted means to be given graciously as a gift. It has been gifted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also suffer for him. The apostles believed that adversity and suffering was a gift. Now, that like grace. Grace has always said to me, 
freedom from sin. Sin removed. Sin taken care of. Sin uh, bought and paid for. Judgment bought and paid for. Sin uh, kicked to the curb. Sin covered over. Sin washed away. I love that aspect of grace. Grace, new life, forgiveness, the righteousness of Christ on me, the promise of heaven, all those things about grace. Who wouldn't like stuff like that? But the Bible teaches that suffering is the same grace. So that when you are suffering uh, or facing adversity, it's a gift from God. Is that how you think? I don't think we just go there really easily. I think we, wow, we would kind of struggle with that. But that's what the apostles believed. Um, if you read Acts uh, uh, 5, um, 41 there, where are you? The apostles left the Sanhedrin after they had been uh, flogged, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Where'd they get that idea? Like it seems to be right, you know, just permeated through the New Testament. Where'd they get that idea? Well, they got that from Jesus. Right from the horse's mouth. Like that's what he lived and that's what he proclaimed. And he is the image of the invisible God. So that's obviously a big thing with God. Suffering. That's how he redeemed the world, through suffering. That's how the mission of Christ going forward is through suffering. That's a lot of the reason why you and I have adversity and suffering in our lives so that the grace of God could have fertile soil to go forward. That, that does change everything. Do we believe that suffering is a gift? Well, it'd be good to start, you know, and... Maybe we would just say, Lord, help me to see that so that I, I don't feel underneath this adversity and, and it's blowing the wind in my face, but I could actually see adversity as, as the wind at my back. How could you do that? Well, you know, it's like Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It is wind down. It's faith that makes a difference. Faith sees the truth and the reality. I got a, a question, some questions for you. And when you, if you can say yes to one of these questions, I want you to hold your hand up. And I don't know, you know it, might, it might take a, a minute. And I know some of you, well, oh, 10 seconds. I don't know if I can hold it up, Pastor. Well, you know, get your other arm under it or lean it on your spouse's head or something. But I, I just want to get a show of hands here. How many of you have lost a spouse or children? Come on, now don't, don't, don't go like this. Get them up there. Get them up there. There's your testimony. There's a gift. Or maybe you're young and you lost a parent. Wow, there's a lot more. Keep them up. Keep them up. Come on. What if you're not young? Who are you pointing at? <laughs> uh, how about, how many have had cancer or have cancer? Keep the hand, all the hands stay up, but the cancer hands. Really? Some of you, I didn't know. Cancer. Now, 
Well, we're, we're, getting, we're getting there. Um, how many of you have uh, been experiencing a lot of family turmoil lately? Pretty hard to escape that one. How many of you are in, um, have constant pain? Constant pain. And it's not the person sitting beside you, it's, it's your constant pain. Uh, maybe I didn't cover everything. How many of, are undergoing serious adversity right now? Andy's back there saying, I just sold my house, man. Life is great. Um, thank you. That, that's a lot of hands. That's a lot of, that's a lot of adversity. It, I think it, uh, and I knew this would happen. It looks like adversity is pretty common, eh? Looks like we're all in the same kind of boat, doesn't it? And maybe I didn't mention yours, but, you know, uh, you've either had it or you'll, it'll find you. Well, I just want to say this. We need to respond to adversity by focusing on God's agenda. Because he's got a higher purpose, a greater agenda. He's got big things planned. He's got big things going on. And he wants other people to see Jesus at work at, in you in the midst of your adversity. I can, hand, I can handle that. I can handle it. I can't handle it on my own. I can handle it when I look to him. I'm going to stand for prayer. Lord, thank you for um, these people. I thank you, Lord, that uh, we have a common testimony. Um, and Lord, life is difficult. Life is uh, full of adversity. Sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's, it's like a tidal wave. And in law, Lord, you're sovereign. Our lives are in your hands. You have a higher purpose for everything that happens to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to see that, that we would be able to uh, say with Paul, what's important to me is that the glory of God goes forward, that the mission of God is accomplished, that Christ would be seen uh, in what I'm doing. Lord, may that become more important to us. May we get there quicker. May we see it clearer. And may others see it in us. Bless uh, these folks, Lord, and bless your word to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.